want to make a podcast, let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters. And it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. You're listening to That Burn Podcast, episode 42, part three. Well, welcome to part three of episode 42. In this part, we're going to talk with a few gamblers. A few people have sent in stories, just sharing their memories of Pyro and what they thought about them. Since I got the talking stick, I'll go and kick it off. The gamblers was my first fighter squadron. Uh, in the CAF, the Combat Air Forces, so out of training. Walking into a fighter squadron can be an intimidating thing. It's a world of carnivores, always looking for a herbivore, so everyone's always sizing one another up, and you don't want to show any weakness. And that can lead to an environment where people, at least initially, can be a little standoffish until you get to know them. But I remember walking into the Gamblers in March of 2014, and Pyro was one of the first people I met, and he was just one of those outgoing, very personable, smiling ear-to-ear, type of people that what I would say is rather rare in a fighter squadron, at least initially. So Pyro, he just wanted to get to know you. He wanted to talk flying, fighting, just a very welcome individual. A lot of people ask me where I get my call sign or what my call sign means. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you, but I will give you this. It was born on a sortie with Pyro. Pyro just finished his upgrade to an instructor pilot. I was going through mission qualification training. As a new guy in the squadron, Pyro is my instructor pilot and we went out on a defensive counter air sortie so a long range air to air fight i thought i was out there just slaying it slinging amrams killing everything um and just so you know it turns out i wasn't and there might be a little little play on pyro's name and the fact that my last name is waters as well as a few other things but i flew a few other times with pyro i only knew him for about seven or eight months you know i, I joined the the gamblers right before we're going down range. But Pyro is just one of those people who's just always welcoming. He just wanted to get to know you. He wanted to talk. He was very personable, which again, it's not saying it doesn't exist in a fighter squadron, but I'd say it can be somewhat rare to have someone who is just that outgoing, who is that passionate. And then also is just got it dialed in, in the jet. So Pyro is just all around great dude. And you'll hear in Nelson's piece of this, and when I talked to Nelson, it actually reminded me, or I guess it, it allowed me to capture a better way of saying it, because Pyro enjoyed life to the fullest. He enjoyed the small things immensely, things that most of us take for granted, and I'm guilty of. And it's a reminder to me to live life to the fullest that no day is guaranteed. And if you ignore that fact... Life can turn around and bite you, and then you just have nothing but regret. And Pyro is one of those people who live with no regrets, which is pretty incredible. And is something that I hope I can do, and I try to do, but definitely falls short compared to him. My last memory of Pyro, and I was texting with his father this morning, and I think it kind of lends to, like, don't take anything for granted. But I was on the night train. He was on the day train. So we were two nights or two trains passing the night. I had gone to the CAOC, the Combined Air Operations Center down in Qatar for a few weeks prior to the, the mishap to work as a liaison. I had just gotten back right at Thanksgiving and my sleep schedule was all jacked up. I ended up going to dinner out of a, a weird hour compared to when I normally been going. And 
I had seen Pyro a few times on the deployment, but usually it was just in passing. But this time I was able to sit down with him at dinner and a few other gamblers. We sat across from each other and, and have a meal. And that'd be the last time I saw him. And again, it's a reminder that you know, life is, is frail. Things can change in an instant. And I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I, I had that meal with him. I'm grateful for the fact that I got to know him over those seven months because he was just a phenomenal human being. So that being said, I'll turn it over and let a few other gamblers share some stories of Pyro. Hey everyone, my name is Kristen Tally Holrath. I was a gambler with Pyro and wanted to share with you one of my favorite memories of Pyro. So when we were deployed, Pyro and I were very frequently scheduled to fly together. So our normal series of events in the evenings when we were going to go fly was to go brief. We would go walk up and get our final brief from our top three, go get dressed in our aircrew flight equipment that we call AFE, and then we would go get in a van and our one of our AFE troops would drive us to the jets. Uh, our AFE personnel were awesome and they just did anything to kind of get us in the mood to go fly, get us excited for the evening. So they would usually plug in some of their music and put on songs that we would pick uh, just to drive us out there. So the AFE troops knew that one of the songs that I typically liked to listen to was Fireball. That was kind of my jam. Um, but one of the nights I was running a little bit behind Pyro. So he was already in the van. And when I got in, all I heard was, well, Tal Tal loves Tay Tay. Mind you, my call sign is Tally, but Pyro always, 100% of the time, called me Tal Tal. He was the only one in the squadron until Menace picked it up a little bit later. Uh, but anyway, he kept saying, no, 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 trust me. Tal Tal loves Tay Tay. And I was just so confused. I wasn't putting the puzzle together at that point. I could not figure out who Tay Tay was. And uh, the person that was driving us to the jets kind of looked at me and I I just said, I, I don't understand. That's I, what? And Pyro goes, no, trust me. She loves Tay Tay. And uh, so the, our eighth troop just kind of shrugged her shoulders and she turned on the music and Pyro got this big grin on his face and started dancing in the jet. And that was the moment that I realized that Pyro's set music was Shake It Off uh, by Taylor Swift. And he danced the whole way to the jets and just had a grand old time. But the entire time pondered off that it was the only chick pilot in the squadron that was the one that loved Taylor Swift when it secretly was him the whole time. Thanks, you guys, for letting me share my most fond memory of Pyro. I hope you have a good one and double down. This is Ryan Motor Riley, and it's uh, my pleasure to talk about Pyro Du Bois and impact he made with me and my family, the gamblers, and you know some thoughts all well, seven years uh, after his death. So. I was laid out to the uh, the gamblers just prior to their combat deployment to Operation Hair Resolve, which was in the early days of the ISIS fight. And I had just shown up from Nellis Air Force Base. And just out of happenstance, they needed an extra IP or instructor pilot. And so I get the call or actually notified by the OG at the, uh, the Shaw Club on a Friday saying, hey, congrats, you're now a gambler and you're going downrange in a few weeks. I hurry over to the gamblers and report into my flight commander, who is 1H Pyro. Pyro was actually in his IPUG, his instructor pilot upgrade. And as a flight commander, took his job really serious, made sure that I had everything I needed. I was a welcome addition to the squatter, especially late in the game. They had already clicked as a, as a really tight-knit squatter and unit. And so, you know, he really broke down a lot of those barriers and made me feel really welcome and immediately as a gambler. And um, I really appreciate that even to this day. So we're down range and you know, it became really apparent to me that Pyro cared a lot about other people and, and put service before self. Um, I saw that from the way he talked about his family and his new wife, Ashley, his folks at Colorado, we're both Colorado boys. And we connected because we both loved being back pilots. You know, I, I think a lot about our deployment and I still to this day wish, I guess I got to know him more than I did because 
you know, his death impacted all of us in the gamblers. You know, people talk about war and cost of war and all that. It's, it's not personal, right? It's, there's numbers and there's metrics associated, but when you know somebody, even for a short time, um, and they die in their prime, it really makes you think about your vulnerabilities and the things that you find important in life, but it also, it leaves me with sadness. His loss is something that can't be replaced. And with that, you know, um, I pulled out my combat journal. I've kept a combat journal with all my deployments and I'm going to read a couple of excerpts. January 15th. I've avoided writing in this journal until I came to terms with what happened on 1 December 14th. Captain William Pyro Du Bois was killed while trying to come back to MSAP. This was a huge loss for the gamblers, the Air Force and his family. It hit everyone very hard, including me, although I knew him only for a few months. He was part of the gamblers and part of my deployed family. He was my flight commander and passionate about what he did. The thing I saddened most about was the loss of a man in his prime, just starting a family as he recently married Ashley, whom he met Kunsan. I'm so sorry and sad for the loss of his friends, or his friends, his family, and the Air Force family. And I hope they find solace in the fact that he was a great officer and warrior and that he went out doing what he loved. Brings back that day, actually. A couple of us were hanging out in the morale tent, watching a Bronco game, actually, and heard that he was missing. And I ended up running up to the tower and, and worked, started talking with the, the Jardinians, the Royal Jardinian Air Force officer, the colonel who was uh, the supervisor flying in. And, little bit of a language barrier and it took us a while and I remember them looking at me the whole the whole tower crew like three of them and they were talking in Arabic and then they started looking at me and I, I knew something really bad had happened um and then the colonel just starts telling me I'm I'm sorry uh, I'm very sorry for your loss and uh, you know they they asked if they could bring Pyro back And I still remember that. You know, you just hope it never happens. The that news is terrible. Um, yeah, met Blitz. Blitz was the commander at the time, and Blitz and I uh, went and um, met the Hilo. We brought him back, and um, I really have to give it to the uh, Jordanians. They were true professionals and very compassionate for our loss. And I'm, I'm very thankful for them as the hosts for our unit and also just the way they had carried themselves that day, which was a really, really tough day for us. All right. Well, let's talk about the man, the myth, and the legend. So if you haven't been to pyroswings.com, please click on the link and uh, go and check out Pyro. There's some awesome photos and some really cool quotes from uh, friends, families, and folks who served with uh, Pyro. But, you know, he came from Kunsan, and thank God they didn't put him in the two vats. I got to tell you, uh, knowing Pyro even for as little as I did, I tell you, he's perfectly suited to be a panton there and learn how to cut his teeth as being a fighter pilot. Uh, my favorite quote from him is anything in life worth doing is worth overdoing and moderations for cowards. Uh, that's sums him up pretty darn well. You know, I think it gets a lot of that, uh, that love for life and for living a life to the fullest to his family. Dada and Ham are world-class, awesome people. And they did an awesome job raising uh, their boy. Pyro is, was a warrior. He was a friend. He was a family member and an awesome teammate. He's missed by a lot of people and his impact is still uh, being made and his family is carrying on to legacy through Pyro's wings. To me, Pyro represents 
the best of America. Selfless service. So all I ask is next time you're out with friends, family, raise your glass and give a toast to Pyro. Double down. This next clip is from Chuck Norris. I failed him. I didn't back him up and listen to it and give him a chance to introduce himself. But here's Chuck. Here goes the story, right? I hope it, uh, hope it works. There's more vignettes than stories, but we'll see. Uh, so Pyro and I got to the gamblers at right around the same time. Um, and man, from the moment you met Pyro, you, you knew he was a dude who was going to go places and do good things in the Air Force. He was good with the jet. And uh, most of all, he was just a good dude. Like, even as he was kicking ass and taking names, he'd take the time to help other people's and, you know, always make life more enjoyable for everyone else. Uh, and uh, the story I've got, it's a, it's a real short one. Um, and actually, it's the, it's the last time I saw him. Uh, was when we were deployed and, uh, him and I were on opposite shifts. I was a night guy. He was day and vice versa. And, uh, night of the 30th, uh, first of December, um, I was having my dinner and he was having his breakfast before going out to fly. And, um, you know, ever he'd married his wife, Ashley, uh, very shortly, uh, before he deployed. And, um, I was married to my wife, Ashley. And every time I saw him, it was always the same thing. Uh, we'd start off with a little joke or something like that, you know, Hey, how's it going? How's Ashley? And, you know, one of us would arch a brow and he'd be like, which Ashley are you talking about? Uh, just to, you know, just be silly. And it went to show that like, as Pyro was a guy who loved life, uh, tried to take pleasure in all the small things. And, you know, just a little joke like that to uplift everybody's day, you know, finding fun and everything. Um, what's interesting is. Uh, as a follow-on, as I've gone throughout my Air Force career, um, I've, I've kind of got to see a bit of the legacy uh, that Pyro has left in places that I, I wouldn't expect it. I've just run across guys who've known him uh, across the Air Force, whether it's like guys from UPT, his IFF class, B course, and it, it's almost always the same thing. It doesn't take very long. We you know, tell a Pyro story or two, and um, you know, just remember what a good dude he was and the impact that he'd made on the Air Force and our lives. And um, it just goes to show the small ways that uh, he'd already done good things in the Air Force. Um, and he, yeah, had a life well lived. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Dave Hickel. I go by TACT, uh, and I used to be an F-16 pilot in the Gamblers with Pyro Dubois. So when I think back to when I first met Pyro, it was back in early 2014, right after he showed up uh, to Shaw Air Force Base and joined the Gamblers. Now, Pyro was one of the better F-16 pilots that I'd ever met. Now, all fighter pilots were type A personalities, very competitive, and most people don't like it when they meet another pilot who's better than them. But Pyro, uh, he was the exception. Pyro was so friendly and so nice and so willing to go out of his way in order to help out newer pilots and help other pilots develop and grow that nobody held it against him, uh, that he was a better pilot than most of us. So when I think back to one specific example of who Pyro was, it was back, uh, I think it was mid-2014, I'm guessing probably June or July, something like that. Uh, I believe it was after our combat uh, hammer trip out to Utah. But uh, before we deployed, Pyro was going through his, uh, his IPUG, or his instructor pilot upgrade, uh, and he was learning how to teach other people uh, how to do tactical intercepts. And so for this tactical intercept simulator, we were starting off anywhere from about 60 to 80 miles apart and then running intercepts all the way to the merge, shooting sh some of the adversaries at range, uh, and then running uh, all the way to the merge to accomplish a visual identification or VID uh, on some of the other aircraft that we didn't know if they were hostile or friendly. So for this particular sim, we went out there, we killed pretty much all the contacts, and eventually there was just one contact left. Uh, it was someone that we assumed was an adversary, but we didn't know. Uh, so our GCI, or ground control, had told us that that contact was a bogey. In other words, he didn't know if it was a friendly contact uh, or if it was a hostile contact. So what that meant was we had to go all the way within a couple miles of that contact uh, and then verify visually what kind of aircraft that was and whether it was friendly or hostile. So as we were running uh, to that merge, Pyro was number one, uh, I was number two, and then Blitz Airs, our squadron commander at the time, was number three, and he was Pyro's uh, instructor pilot for that ride. 
So we're flying along and I use my interrogator, uh, which interrogates the uh, identification friend or foe code on each aircraft that tells you, uh, hey, either this could be a friendly aircraft or it might just not have a reply, uh, which doesn't necessarily tell you that it's hostile. But so I interrogated this aircraft uh, and it told me that it was friendly. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's friendly, but it means that it's probably friendly. So we still had to go uh, accomplish a visual identification. But at this point, I was leaning more towards this aircraft is friendly versus foe. So I called that out on the radio and I told Pyro, Pyro, I have a friendly mode four return off this aircraft. Heads up, probably a friendly. Uh, but that radio call got stepped on and Pyro never heard it. So every military uh, aviator knows that any communications or any comms not acknowledged is a comms not received. Uh, so I should have known that since I made that call and did not receive an acknowledgement, I should have repeated that call a second time. That way Pyro could hear it, he could acknowledge it, and now we'd both be on the same page uh, running that intercept. Well, I didn't. Uh, I just assumed that he'd gotten that, even though I had not uh, received an acknowledgement from Pyro. And so we run all the way to the merge. At the merge, uh, Pyro uses his targeting pod. And VIDs, uh, what he sees in his targeting pod is an F-15 Eagle. What he thinks he sees, just because he thinks it's going to be hostile, is a MiG-29 Fulcrum. So he calls out uh, an ID on a fulcrum, takes a shot, uh, and then uh, we end up killing the friendly F, uh, F-15 Eagle. So we didn't even realize it at the time. We get back to the debrief, and as we're running through the debrief, we finally figure out we just shot down an F-15. So at this point, it was pretty clear what happened. Uh, like I had all the situational awareness, or SA, in my cockpit. Uh, I just hadn't done a good job of communicating that to Pyro. Pretty much everyone in the room knew that the lion's share of the blame uh, was sitting on my shoulders. And Pyro, it would have been easy for Pyro to say, hey, that was tact's fault, tact, do better next time, and then try to uh, kind of dodge some of the blame uh, for that. But instead, what he chose to do was uh, he debriefed that entire intercept from beginning to end. He came up with some great instructional fixes for myself and then for him as well. And then at the end of that debrief, he took full responsibility and acknowledged that he was leading the flight. He was the one that hit the pickle button. So he took responsibility for that fret instead of doing the easy thing, which would have been just blaming it on the wingman who hadn't done his job correctly. So that was just one story kind of illustrating the kind of person that Pyro was uh, and the leader that he was uh, leading by example and always took responsibility for both his actions and then the actions of the people uh, either working for him or flying with him. I'm sure some of the other gamblers will have similar stories. And I'm looking forward to hearing those too. Nelson, thanks for joining me, man. I'm uh, good to see you again. Yeah, it's good. It's been too long. I'm hoping that uh, we can catch up over a beer either at my place or your place. And for those who are listening, we live kind of far apart. Can you tell me a little? Right, bit, no, no, we do. Yeah, yeah. Can you kind tell me a stretch, right? Yeah, a little bit about uh, you and uh, uh, your path. Just real quick snapshot of of who you are. Well, I go by Nelson in the fire world. Emil's my uh, my normal world name, if you will. Um, <laughs> I was a exchange officer in the Gamblers from. About halfway 2012 through the end of 2015, where obviously met you and a bunch of the other guys during that time. Um, I was originally born in South Africa, which I think you know, but I can't remember how long ago it was I told you. Uh, it's been, been, a, been a while, but yeah. folks moved back to the Netherlands, which is part of our heritage. I uh, grew up here, did high school and stuff, and eventually decided to join the Air Force. This being the Dutch Air Force, obviously. Uh, flown me at 16 here for quite a few years, uh, before I figured out, Hey, you know what? I can also do that somewhere else in the world. My former boss at the time, uh, was actually a exchange officer in the gamblers, uh, about six years before I finally ended up there. He's the main reason I ended up there. And I still thank him uh, to this day for that, because it was one of those greatest times that I had in my career, um, both for me and my wife, Claudia, as well. We actually got to experience living somewhere else, doing what I like doing, but in a completely different environment, different culture, different people, different surroundings, environment, you name it. So it was a blast. And um, I continued doing that for a little bit after coming back from the U.S. and decided to quit 
active duty air force and I'm currently flying for Caleb. Nice. And I would just real quick hit on the living in a different spot. I would say Sumter, South Carolina and the Netherlands are slightly different. That might be an understatement. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> well, Hey, uh, the reason Nelson have you on here today is putting together a series for pyro. So again, you and I are both gamblers when we were serving with pyro guys are sharing their stories of pyro. You have a unique perspective and one that I think will kind of lead in with is the fact that you're the FEO and the gambler. So each squadron shawl had at the time one foreign exchange officer. And I think this is important to highlight the fact of just how well we were integrated. So we went down range an operation inherent resolve. It was fresh. It was new. I don't even think it had been named by the time we got there. Normally you would have deployed with us, but everything was so new. The rules of engagement, how at very high levels, how that integrates is well above our pay grades, but you remain back at Shaw and basically were leading the gamblers who were stay behinds or those who were coming into the squadron, but you had some unique responsibility as a senior guy there. And I think, again, it's important to highlight just how well we are, we are integrated and depend upon one another, but you had a lot of responsibility during that time. In fact, when it came time to handle a lot of the things dealing with pyro, you were kind of the point man for it. Yeah, to be honest, it was surprising to me as well. And um, I specifically remember one of the sessions that came out of this whole thing, sitting in the OG's office and them being on the phone with, I don't even know who, but somebody up in DC, like, look, uh, we want to do this, but are we even allowed to do that? Like they, they didn't know if it was like actually allowed to have a non-US officer being in charge of some of these things. So it was new territory for pretty much everybody involved. And, um, I can only say that I'm, I'm, I'm still humble and happy to have been able to take part of it because I mean, it was probably one of the most, uh, crappy things, but also most rewarding things I've, I've got to do in my life so far. Yeah. I think, you know, again, for those who aren't completely familiar with it, you had Shaw at the time, there are two other fighter squadrons. There's plenty of other senior field grade officers, right? That they could have like passed this on to, but I think it speaks volumes of the person you are, the amount of respect that everyone had for you and has for you that, Hey, Next Nelson's week. Nelson's going to lead the charge here. So it makes sense in my mind. And obviously it did. So let's back up. Everyone has kind of the, I mean, I have my memories and I know exactly obviously what was happening that night. Can you kind of walk me through the night? of you know when when you found out pyro had uh, been killed yeah like i wrote to you in the email leading up to this interview uh i actually had to go sit down and kind of reconstruct some of the stuff because a lot of it was uh even at the time a bit of a blur um i'm not sure if that's still the case right now i can imagine it is but at the time we we, we had a sort of permanent beyond standby keep your phone on thing going on uh, which we obviously did, but of course, karma hits right at a time where it's not supposed to. And my phone did not work that night for some reason. Good thing is Claudia's did. And, um, she's actually the person that got to speak to Blitz first. Um, I don't know exactly what time it was, but it was, it was somewhere in the middle of the night. We were fast asleep and Claudia's phone rang, which didn't happen very often. So we were both instantly awake. Something's going on. Uh, I asked her uh, what her memory was of that phone call. And I can summarize it probably better by saying that, that she remembers raw emotion. It's not as much the words that were said, but the emotion contained in the phone call was, there was no doubt. It was absolutely clear what had happened. Um... I didn't, I heard it was Blitz. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but, um, based on how she reacted, I almost immediately know what had happened. I didn't know who or, or where or details yet, but, um, that needed very little introduction from that point on. Um, the connection wasn't that great. She passed me the phone. I got to talk to Blitz for a bit and fairly quickly learned that, that fire had crashed. Um. And that I needed to go do some things. Um, I pretty, I, I think you talked to Blitz already about this. Uh, I don't want to speak for him, but 
Um, I have a very, very few situations in my life where I recall how somebody came across and the way that he came across was that it's, it's just the, the voice, the sound of somebody that's totally heartbroken. There, there's no confusion about it whatsoever. Um, pretty much the same time, I think, uh, Liz's wife, Sylvia was at our door. I think he asked her to come over and just give us the information just in case the phone call ever happened. But anyway, I, uh, I was half on the phone with Blitz getting Sylvia inside, which, which she wasn't in a very good state either at the time. And I obviously had, had a bit of a picture of what was going on. Um, Claudia further took, took to her and talked to her and we kind of just started to think about, okay, well, what now? Um, and I guess you may or may not, or the listeners may or may not recognize some of this, but especially for guys that, that were in our, uh, position or did some of the work that we did or, or something close to it. When something terrible like this happens, it sucks, but you also sort of immediately did go into, okay, well, what do I need to do? Download and park all the other stuff for later, which is what I did. Um, from that point on, man, I mean, it, it was the first order, uh, to do was going to Blitz's office, find his desk. And, um, I don't know if he mentioned this in, in his episode, but, um, I chatted with this about him before you guys left. I knew all, uh, really all guys that come into the squadron, but especially during that time, the deployments were, were a thing of reality, wrote a letter, um, containing some details, containing some, some personal information about, uh, what they would want to have done or who to talk to in case they were not, they wouldn't be able to come back. And my first task of the night was to go find Byron's letter, which I did. And then things just sort of started to happen, to be honest. Um, I'll, I'll touch on this later, but if I forget for some reason, Rain, the, the massive amount of effort that the United States DOD, um, makes available during an event like this was truly humbling to me. It's sad and it sucks that it's necessary, but if right. it is, it's really nice to have. Um, I took some of that home actually after the fact, and we, we modeled a lot of call it crisis response things after some of the experience that I had from that night. So for what it's worth, some good came out of it as well. Um, from that point on, man, I just, uh, I teamed up with the OG, I teamed up with the wing commander, uh, first of all, to just make sure the letter got where it needed to go and talk a little bit about some of the next events that would happen. Um, the most important of which being make sure that, that we got to Ashley's house first. Um, for those that don't know, Ashley, uh, is pirate widow. Um, they were probably our best friends at the time which is why this, this was more profound for us than it may or may not have been. But for both Claudia and I, it, it may have been work related, but it might as well not have been. This was very, very personal to both of us. And having to talk about how we thought best to bring her that news was the start of a very, very bad, very weird day. I mean, I mean, there's no, there's uh, no, tra there's no training for you. It's no, it just no, has to be done. No, no. I mean, I've, I've, I've dealt with losing, losing colleagues before I've dealt with losing friends before, but this was the first time that both Claudia and I were, uh, very much professionally as well as socially involved with the two people involved on the other side. And that just made it so much worse and, and just weird to be honest. We, we didn't know what would happen, but we just kind of went forward, did the best we could. Um, the, that, that next morning rain, I'll tell you honestly, is, is to date the worst experience of my life, but it's one that I cannot imagine not having done. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. There's. That's the worst possible. That is literally the worst possible news you can deliver to anyone that there's no good way to deliver it. Yeah. You just can't, like, you, but you have to be the guy you, like 
it can't be anyone else. Well, just to be clear about it, the, the actual events that happened, uh, I can't even remember, honestly, if it was the wing commander or the OG, but one of the two, I think it was the wing commander together with the base chaplain who was the first to pretty just literally ring the doorbell. Wow. Um, and, uh, right after that was Claudia I and Celia and going, uh, through the prep for this interview, talking to Claudia as well, that that's her most profound memory of the whole thing. Just. I don't know how long it was, but she hugged Ashley for a very, very, very long time. After that was my turn and I will never forget how it felt holding somebody that, that she was exploding in emotion and she was also quiet. Yeah. It was weird, but it was the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And you know, you're dealing with all that. But I'm sure after a couple hours of that morning, it's like you said, you're kind of back to work, getting the next steps going. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't give myself time for, for any uh, working through my own emotions yet at that point. I honestly think it took about a week or so, if I can recall correctly. Because uh, believe it or not, it was also the day that uh, one of my very senior bosses in DC had a visit scheduled with Gerald Palumbo at the time up at ninth. Yeah. How's it would go? Um, <laughs> guy was en route landed at Columbia, like, I don't know, an hour or so after I, uh, I went to Ashley in the morning. So it was one of those days, man. Um, <laughs> we, uh, he called me when he got out of the airplane and I told him what was going on that I'd been up a light, whatever. Obviously his first reaction was, dude, uh, I'm getting back on the airplane. I'll see you in a few weeks. And I thought about it for a minute and I figured, well, you know what? No, because this is also part of the deal. And, um, I, I don't think I really thought about it this way at the time, but what, what you just mentioned probably was part of that, that the, the profound level upon which our two nations integrated at that time and still do. Um, it, it just made sense. I said, you know what? We're going to go to the meeting. We did. And, uh, it turned out very useful and effective, not because yeah. of what happened, but it just made sense. So that was part two of the day. And, uh, and the rest is a blur. I think I just crashed on the couch kick run yeah, the end of the day. And we went back and forth to Ashley's after that a whole lot, dude. And pretty much immediately roll into, um, okay, well now what? Sylvia was overwhelmed fairly quickly with, with all the other spouses, um, as well as people just showing up to Shaw, but obviously what had happened, how, where, when. And it, it feels very, how do you say this? An outsider can think it's selfish to ask the question, but it's not in my experience that when something bad happens that range with the unit or somebody that your spouse is involved with, you're immediately concerned for their safety as well. And my next goal became to, uh, at the very least address that concern. Yeah. There, there was no reason for it to be concerning, but it was very normal for people to have that concern in my opinion. So that, that became both why I'm Claudia's next order of business. We just, I think it was the next day, the next morning or so we, we got all the, the very new gamblers and the people coming in and spouses and close friends from, from around Shaw, if you will, we got them all together and I just shared one anew up to the point and just gave people, I guess, a surrounding that, that was safe and okay to talk and crash if they needed to. Yeah. Which is huge. And I think you're right. Like it's not selfish to think that way, but an event like this, it, it brings the worst fear to life and everyone immediately yep. jumps to 
Hey, that could be my spouse or this is real now, you know, while I was always hanging or looming in the back of their mind. Yeah, that's probably a better way to describe it. I guess it did click for, especially some of the young spouses that, that for which this was their first deployment, first time that he or she was gone for, for a while. Yeah, it, it became real very quickly. The weight that got thrown onto your shoulders, like this, obviously, this is a raw deal, period. We're talking about the loss of life. But you really got dealt a heavy burden to lift there. And again, I, I don't think it could have been, it could not have been a better person to place that burden on someone's shoulders. You know, Thankfully. from being, yeah, from being downrange and, you know, we were sitting there with a lot of questions. Our comm was cut off, but to, to see everything kind of come together at the end, you know, we watched the flyover from the 16th there in Colorado. I know you and Ephes, there was a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of moving pieces you guys were doing back home, taking care of the families, taking care of Pyro's family and making sure the proper respects were, were paid to him and can't even do it justice the the energy that you had to pour into it. So thanks for doing that. There was no other decision in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I would like to kind of shift here just a little bit because, you know, on this note, right. The, the difference dealing with death is never a fun thing. I've lost several people over the years and it's always, it's always a challenge. The gamblers, we were, I mean, we were a close family and you know, where Pyro and Ashley lived, there's probably half the squadron living in that neighborhood and the other half of the squadron was living in your neighborhood. And we did everything together. Uh, I mean, it was, you worked 12, 14 hour days. And then on the weekends, people were hanging out together doing stuff. So it's not like you just left the squadron and didn't, didn't see anyone till Monday. Um, no, man, that, that's for somebody in, in my position, especially coming from, uh, from Holland in this case. I mean, I've, I spent a bunch of time in the U.S., but Actually being a part of the U.S. squadron, still to date, man, I mean, a lot of people often ask me how it was to be the outsider. I'm like, dude, it, it wasn't even applicable. I may, I may have originated somebody else, but everybody else, maybe minus one or two few people that were lucky enough to have some relatives around because they happened to be born in South Carolina. Everybody was out there with a family. We yeah. were each other's family and we still are. And that's the unique thing about it. And, um, I think that's very, very unique to the whole surrounding of being a fighter squad in the U S but especially Shaw, cause I've been around a few bases that tight knit group of people thing is unique to Shaw in my perspective. And during the time that you guys were gone, I got to spend a bunch of time with tigers, a bunch of time with the shooters as well. Actually as well, during one of the previous deployments of the guy before you showed up spent quite a long time there. Um, even within Shaw at the time, the gamblers were the most tight knit group of people by far, by any measure. Well, you know, I mean, you always got to have those, uh, those other squadrons there to like make you feel good about yourself and you just want to bring them along and help them out as much as you can. But the shooters and the tigers always left something to be desired. Dude, uh, (laughs) I hate this. I hate the, uh, there is no trying thing, but there isn't. And they can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, uh, what was your first impression of meeting Pyro? Do you have that first memory? Yep. Big ass smile. Yeah. The biggest I can, I can ever even, even think to see on a face. It doesn't fit, but it did. Yeah. A lot of people have said that. And that's honestly the first thing I remember, like walking into the squadron, um, just how personal, right? Because like most people are kind of standoffish and everyone's sizing each other up, or at least that's the vibe you get when you walk into yep. being the new guy in the squadron. But that wasn't Pyro. It was, it was a big ass smile and like just wanted to know about you and talk to you about flying F-16s and, and life, you know, which is pretty cool. Obviously, you're FEO, you're a weapons officer from the, the Netherlands, very experienced, and you're a flight commander. For those who listen to understand, you are the backbone. You and the other flight commanders are the backbone of the squadron, kind of making things happen, making moves, managing everyone's training and where people need to go and what needs to happen next. But you kind of saw Pyro, you know, he showed up into the squadron. I think he was, I think he was a UDM, but he moved in to become yeah. a flight commander. Can you kind of talk? Yeah, I guess some of those memories you have of Pyro in the squadron. Oh, yeah, you've gone through upgrades. Uh, as you said, my role was kind of weird. 
Um, I didn't even know if you know this. I don't know if a lot of people know this. And I also don't know if I promised Blitz not to talk about it. <laughs> well, it's statute remember. limitations. It's over now. <laughs> That's true. Well, screw it. Uh, <laughs> That's a nice thing about being the farter in a U.S. squadron. Um, I had less rules to comply to. <laughs> and um, I was never worried about my career because you guys weren't really able to move it one way or another. Yeah. I would have liked for that to be the case, but that was not the case. Yeah. Um, which meant I went where I was needed. And um, during the time, as you said, the supervision was fairly thin at the squadron. There, there was a lot of guys coming in, but yeah, a lot of the young guys, first assignment type dudes. And I told Liz, look, look man, what, what do you want me to do? I'll help out wherever I can. And that ended up being a flight commander at the time. Um, and I distinctly remember this, this young, very energetic, somewhat awkward, quirky dude with a big ass smile. <laughs> Walking in my office, like, yo, dude, I got my office next to yours. What are we doing? Wait, what's your name? And that ended up being Pyro. Um, and I mean, he's, he couldn't finish one sentence without ending up in three different subjects by the end of it. And um, he wanted to know everything all at the same time. He's like, dude, how do I do this flight commander stuff? How do I write OPRs? I'm like, dude. You're asking a foreigner whose second or third language <laughs> is English. Um, oh, by the way, I have not ever read a single book about Air Force speak as far as writing OPRs because I don't yeah, which, care. Which is the, which but the fourth I had language. To because it mattered. <laughs> and uh, like, sure, let's figure this out. I'll help you out. And we did. We just <laughs> went from there. And it was, it was fun. It was a learning process for myself as well, dude. Like, how to deal with all the inner workings of, of staff level USAF. Um, I still don't get it to date, but it was a fun ride with Cairo. I'll tell you that. Yeah. No, well, some people get it. I don't get it, but yeah, I can't even imagine having to write an OPR in, in a foreign language. And again, OPR that's performance report. Everyone gets every year. Um, wow. Most of it's make believe, but it's all acronyms and things that you're just like this, this makes no sense, but. Yeah, it's one of those things. It well, keeps I'm the, the only one who never made sense to me. I just wrote a few. Yeah, like what? Uh, what is this? I don't <laughs> get. Yeah, we'll have a whole episode on OPRs. Just I'm pretty sure most of, the, most of the ones that I wrote OPRs for ended up being very good officers. So disclaimer there. I think it did something. Right. <laughs> yeah, no valid. I, I believe it. And you kind of, I mean, Pyro again, kind of new to the squadron. Blitz talked about it a little bit, like chaos and Pyro. I mean, it was kind of a, it was, it was making things happen, getting everyone ready to go down range, but. Both those guys went through the IPUG at the same time while getting everyone spun up to do close air support, getting all yep. the check rides done, just a really busy time. I did share a story. Blitz didn't remember this. And did you, were you out at Wessup when we went out to Hill? I can't remember. Uh, Pirate, what happened there again? It, so we went out I was and supposed to go to Wessup, but I think I, oh yeah, that's what happened during the first week. I went back home because there was something medical going on. Okay, that's what I know. Poker was out there for the first half, but then they're having their second child. Um, I was telling Blitz this, you know, because Pyro was the projo. He's going through the IPUG. He's a flight commander. He's the projo for Wessup. Yeah, I remember like the, the map for that. The amount of stuff he had on his plate was insane, but it was the like second to last day or like the fly out, fly home brief. And he overslept, right? Like, yeah, Blitz, I remember that just like lit into him or whatever blitz didn't remember this but i mean it's it's funny nowadays you know it's funny now but i was like pyro had so much on his plate and he was running a thousand miles an hour just trying to like keep up but i can't imagine doing the ipug being a projo being a new flight commander there's no time to sleep or do anything but you probably did a couple of his upgrade rides i'd imagine yeah i did quite a few and the hammer because of that whole combination we obviously i mean i already said we we spent a bunch of time uh Besides on the job as well, I think most of our conversations, besides the ones that were just drowned in beer, <laughs> actually the ones that ended up meaning something useful were about how to effectively time manage and what to bother about and what not to bother about. Yeah, and uh, it, if anything, man, I I hope I was able to to at least 
build a very, very small part of that time efficient machine, which he ended up being. Sure. And then there, there was just way too much going on at the same time. <laughs> somehow we did it. Yeah. Most people would completely crumble with all that. Cause again, for those listening, like that's a tremendous, being a pro Joe for a big TDY where you're going to spend millions of dollars of ordinance. There's a little bit that goes into it. A few logistical plate uh, pieces. I mean, he's coordinating, like, I think we're in, like three or four different hotels. Like he's doing a lot. So as we kind of wrap up, I like to transition a little bit. Um, we talked obviously about the night we talked about pyro kind of as a, as a military guy, what do you remember most? What stands out? You got any stories about pyro just as a dude, not wearing the bag? Oh yeah. Um, I went through a bunch of old pictures actually last week when I was sitting on a layover somewhere and, uh, the red lining through most of them are, are weird ass shirts. <laughs> I mean, this guy is just, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but if he wasn't doing it on purpose, he was very unique at just making you smile by his general appearance. And once he started talking, it just got worse from there. <laughs> he was always either wearing some weird Hawaiian shirt or something that was torn in half or, and I think I wrote this to you in the email, like, he is one of the guys that in my perspective, being a European or a guy that grew up in Europe for most, most of my life, uh, he was able to pull it off without being weird. He yeah. just did it. And he <laughs> yeah, makes I people do smile it. by doing it. I, I found this one picture of him. Um, it was during the, uh, at least for you, definitely the first uh, Queen's birthday party that I threw at our place. Yeah. Um, some of you guys had just joined Shaw at the time. I think it was a couple of months before he deployed. I can't remember. Yeah, it would have been, uh, I would have been in the squadron probably for two months for the first Queen's yeah. birthday party. Yeah. Something I mean, like that. But it was pretty yeah. much the first big party where most of the crew, as you guys deployed down range, were, were meeting each other and having a bunch of, yeah, like, pretty much a good time. And, uh, I found a few pictures of him in the pool and then just, <laughs> He just lost it with Delta, his dog, who was a puppy yeah. at the time. He was trying to get her to swim and get him to <laughs> swim. And, uh, it ended up working and he was, he was ecstatic. He was so besides himself that he was able to swim with this dog. Dude, it, it just summarized, for me, that picture summarizes Pyro. He enjoyed yeah. life and small things in life with immense pleasure. And that's something he taught me that I still do my best to live by, uh, to this day and try to get people as advice. Look, man, you can worry about a whole bunch of shit, but sometimes just take what's right in front of you and enjoy it. And, and, and he did that in every single lower that he had, like all the memories, my fond memories of him were times like those where we're doing fairly normal things, but enjoying it in a very non-normal way. Yeah, it's a really good way to put it. And that's a, I've thought about that about him because I get wrapped up in small stuff and we all do like every now and then, you know, like, this do. doesn't, yep. it, this doesn't, in big, it doesn't matter. Right. But it's, it's so easy to do that. Um, but I think pyro is one that like you said, and it was a really good way of putting it. He like immensely enjoyed the small things or what would be a normal an everyday thing he was able to find. Yep. Yeah, immense enjoyment out of it and share that and kind of emanate that energy out, which is really cool. Man, it's hard to believe, I'll be honest, Nelson, that's been almost seven, it's it's seven years. When I release this, you know, it's coming up on the seven, seven year anniversary. Yep. It seems like it was yesterday. And obviously there's things that are just burned in your memory. Dude, yeah. I, I thought about this a lot over the years. Like you, like you said, we we both lost a lot of people, but. I know for some reason Pyro's different. He's just he's still part of my my experience or something. He's he's not around anymore, but him being a part of my life or just haven't changed a few things on how I think or how I look at things or I'm I'm hundred percent convinced that the interaction that that I had with him and the interaction that Claudia and I had with them forever bettered our lives in so many different ways. It was just a hugely rewarding experience. And, um, 
we're still in touch with Ashley, not as much as we would like to, but at least nowadays it's easier technology wise to do so. Right. And, um, I'll leave you with this lastly, but do the, the transition that she made from, from being that just totally broken girl in my arms that morning to the beautiful woman she is right now, being a mom, happily married and just. She made something out of her life. I, I can't think of a better transition to make in life ever with anything. Yeah. I can't even imagine, uh, for Anna and I, we've talked about it actually a good bit recently because we've had several people around us with COVID or just random other things who are, you know, our age and they lose a significant other or spouse kind of like, I don't know how I would pick up and move on and go live my life. And so it's awesome to see that Ashley is living her life to the fullest because that's what Pyro would want, you know, not to waste a life. Um, Absolutely. So it's it's pretty awesome. It's awesome to see that and and know that's happening because I yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd be good enough to do it. So I'm so humble to this day. Yeah. I would like to say just, you know, one thing before we split here, Nelson, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I think it's important to hammer home. Uh, you know, the gamblers, in my opinion, you know, there's the, the family, right? I'm, you know, we still have the group chats. We still talk. Um, you, know, you got Prox who's going to come over there and fly with you guys. Hopefully yeah, I'm live land in the nether. You know, it's, I think it's pretty unique how close knit and people have stayed in touch. And the backbone of that, right? I go back to like the flight commanders, which was you, Vaughn for uh, a period of time, Pyro, Chaos blitz like the whole mix of people that were in there that kind of created the energy and the vibe that fostered the environment right it's a mix and it's everything that's kind of coming together obviously the people got to jive but you guys were the backbone to kind of make it and foster that environment where people wanted to do stuff on the weekends together people wanted to hang out outside of work it was a family but i remember that time being it was busier than work we had too many things yeah. to do that every weekend where yeah. are we going next yeah. Oh man, that was good. Well, Nelson, I really appreciate you taking the time um, and sharing kind of just your memories of the event and Pyro. Um, I know everyone appreciate it. And again, hopefully people will go out if they're looking to support a good cause, Pyro's wings and carry his legacy on and get some young people up in the air, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, my name's Mason Locke. My call sign's Flint. And I had the honor of being stationed with Pyro at three different places in Texas, South Korea, and South Carolina. So I have uh, a lot of flying stories that uh, I could tell and that I cherish, but I wanted to tell a story instead about when Pyro and I were stationed in the 35th Fighter Squadron in South Korea, uh, the Pantons. So the Pantons have a a band called steel wool and the members kind of rotate through as there are people available there to play the instruments uh, that have the know-how. And so when I showed up, the rotation was just changing and I took over as the drummer and pretty soon the singer uh, also left for a new assignment. So we needed a new singer and Pyro very enthusiastically volunteered to be the singer. And anyone that knew Pyro knows that he was a natural at many things, uh, up to and including aviation, of course, but he was not a natural singer. Uh, I would say almost that he was not good at singing. In fact, that he, that he uh, was always slightly off key, but his enthusiasm was unmatched. And so uh, he was a great fit for the band, which has across the years probably a lot more enthusiasm uh, necessarily than musical skill. But there was one song in particular uh, called Cumbersome by Seven Mary Three that our band played. And for some reason, uh, just the combination of Pyro's voice, the singer of that band, and his uh, just how he sounds, that really clicked. And when Pyro sang that song, uh, it it was awesome. And it actually sounded, I think, kind of like it was supposed to. And he got so into the music uh, that it didn't matter that he wasn't off key. Everyone was having such a good time. But that song in particular, every time we played it while he was our singer, 
uh, I really felt like we nailed it. And every time I hear that song now, it definitely reminds me of Pyro and some of the fun times we had playing late night shows uh, in the Delta House at Kunsan Air Base. I hope you enjoyed this series. Again, as I've said a few times, if you're looking to support a good cause, you can swing over to pyroswings.com and help some young men and women pursue their aviation career and get them up in the, in the cockpit and get them flying. With that being said, until next time, don't bring a week. <laughs>